spent uh, some time now just uh, in God's Word together. Very brief reading this morning if you want to turn to it. If you've got your own Bibles, uh, it'll also appear on the screen. Matthew 28 and reading from verse 18 to 20. Very, very, very familiar words to us. Called the Great Commission. Then Jesus came and said uh, to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you for each other. Thank you for your church. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit you'll come and just warm our hearts again through your word. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a guide to our path. And just as we tease out some of the things that come out of this passage, that as a church we're seeking to own the vision that you've given to us, help us to say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is part of the series that we've been doing on our vision that God has given to us as a church. It's not a vision that God gave me or Edward, or, or the leadership team. It's a, it's a vision that we collectively discern that God was calling us to fulfill for him. It governs everything that we do. Everything that we do as a church is measured by these things. Are we proclaiming Jesus Christ to people today? Are we making disciples? Are we building the kingdom of God? Are we praying for revival? Are we seeking to plant new churches and reach The nations. And we're spending quite a bit of time on this second point about making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's really stuck with me over the past uh, few uh, weeks since Rachel Hickson was with us about not becoming familiar with precious things. I'm sorry, it just keeps coming back to me and coming back to me. I believe it was a word for us as a church. I think it's a word for the church, um, but it was a word for us as a church. The passage we read, it's, uh, as I said, sometimes called the Great Commission. Um, Edward and I have been uh, dipping into a book by Dallas Willard called The Great Omission. And in that book, he talks about discipleship as being the great omission of the church, particularly in the West particularly here in the 21st century now, amongst Western churches. And he asked this question, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ or only a Christian? And of course, as when I read that, I can't, what are you on about? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ or only a Christian? How committed are you? You know the story of the bacon and egg breakfast 
The chicken had to be just involved, but the pig had to be really committed. You know that story. (laughs) And as he asked this question about, to me, and I took it very personally, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ, or am I only a Christian? And in a chapter called Apprenticed to Jesus, he challenges the church. And he makes an argument that the word, the description, disciple in the Bible, in the New Testament, occurs 269 times. The word, the description, Christian, only occurs three times. And when it does so, it's used in the context of describing disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I have to be honest and say that actually now, I prefer to call myself a follower of Jesus Christ. I prefer to call myself a disciple of Jesus Christ than just Christian. Because sometimes when you say you're a Christian, people don't know what that means. It can mean that you are British. For some people, that's it. Because I was born in this country, I'm a Christian. Or I was christened as a baby. So therefore, I'm a Christian. Or I'm a good person. That's what a Christian is, isn't it? There are many people who say they are Christians, but would never say they are followers of Jesus Christ. And somehow, the two have become disconnected. So are you a disciple of Jesus Christ, or are you only a Christian? And the heart of discipleship is a desire and a decision. The disciple of Jesus Christ desires above all else to be more like Jesus. And that takes discipline, where we get our word disciple from. There's been a definite decision made. Not just gone along with the flow of things, but a definite decision to make Jesus Lord of your life. There's a great commitment to both the Great Commission, Jesus saying, I want you now to go out and tell the whole world, and the Great Commandment, to love the Lord your God with everything that you have. A follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus has made a commitment to those things. There's an easy test to discern whether you are or not. If there are things in our lives that are more important than Jesus, then we are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. If we are trusting in other things more than Jesus, then that makes our claim to trust God and trust Jesus and trust the Holy Spirit ring slightly hollow. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus had quite tough things to say. When the crowds, huge crowds, started following Jesus because partly the miracles that were being done, the amazing things that were happening around this man, this preacher from Galilee, he started to say hard things. Like, if you love your lives more than him, you're not his disciple. If you don't love him above your family, you cannot be his disciple. And I know that that's quite a stumbling block to many people. I get called on it on most Alpha courses. Do you mean to say that you love Jesus more than your family? Yes. 
But loving Jesus makes me more loving to my family. Putting Jesus first actually makes me a better husband, a better father than I can ever be without him. So of course I love Jesus more. He is making me the person that he wants me to be. If anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. Gulp. If we don't take up our cross and follow him, we cannot be his disciple. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. It gets worse, doesn't it? It's not an easy option to be a follower, a disciple, a committed person to Jesus Christ. Now make no mistake, salvation is free. It's a gift. Forgiveness is free. Jesus died for you and me on the cross and we didn't earn it. We could never earn it. He gives it as a free gift and eternal life as well. So the question would be, Well, if that's true, why bother with this discipleship lock? If I can, by simply believing in Jesus, have my sins forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life, well, isn't that enough? A personal illustration, as I became a Christian, my best friend at the time said to me, I think... And he was, he was a clever bloke. I mean, I was not clever. He was clever. He said, the best time, obviously, to become a Christian is just before you die. Because then you can live as you want, do everything you want, and then at the end, repent. And get all the goodies. And at one time, I would probably have agreed with him. But I'd just become a Christian. And I saw two, at least, flaws in his argument. The first one being, you don't know when you're going to die. And for a clever bloke, I thought he'd missed quite a crucial one there. (laughs) The second one, if Jesus is who he says he is, If he is God in the flesh, almighty God who created all things has humbled himself to become a human being. Not only that, to offer his life as a means for me to be forgiven and saved and have eternal life. If he is that, then he is worth everything, everything. He is worth giving your life to. He is worth giving up everything for. Not just turning to him on your deathbed, although he still receives those who do. One of the songs we sometimes sing has this, it kept coming back to me as I wrote this message. We sing sometimes, I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. And isn't it easy to sing them in songs? but to live it out. 
But I read nowhere in the New Testament that you can just enjoy forgiveness at Jesus' expense and then have nothing to do with him. You know, almost saying, thank you for dying for me, Jesus. I'll see you in heaven. You know, this argument that was sometimes put, once saved, always saved, as if you could make this tentative commitment to Jesus, receive forgiveness and eternal life, and then not even think about him for the rest of your life. You haven't read the New Testament. If you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross. He has a higher calling for us. He wants us to live for him. To be sent out for him on that rescue mission. Who is going to tell the world unless we tell the world? Who is going to tell your family, your friends, unless you tell them? Jesus calls us not just to him, but to go for him. Filled with his Holy Spirit. To make a difference in this world. And you do. Wherever you go, you carry Jesus with you. Just the presence of you in a place can make a difference. Because you have the Holy Spirit within you. But wherever you go... If you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ, you will be opposed... Maybe not in the human level, but maybe so. But certainly in the spiritual level, you will be opposed. Because we are in a spiritual battle. Jesus once said, he who is not with me is against me. Again, tough things he says. If you read it in the message version, it's even more stark. He says, this is war. There's no neutral ground. You know, becoming a Christian is a spiritual battle. We have an enemy who doesn't want you to become a Christian. Doesn't mind you dabbling a little bit. Becoming a Christian. And then even worse, if you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. When and if you do surrender to Jesus, Satan will want to make you as ineffective a Christian as possible. If you keep asking the Father for more of his Holy Spirit, he will hate it. And he will tempt us to come to a place where we say, well, yeah, I've I've become a Christian, but what can I get away with? Can I get away with spending time with God? Can I get away with reading the Bible? Can I get away with... Times of prayer in my life. Can I get away with studying? Can I get away with giving? Can I get away with coming to worship? Can I get away with things? And how subtle the enemy is because sometimes we get sucked into that. Because we don't have the time to read the Bible. We don't have the time to spend in prayer. We don't have the time. If you take the illustration In a different context, say of a car, what can you take out of a car and it still remain a car? Well, you can take out the fluffy dice. I mean, who needs the fluffy dice? You can take out the seat covers. It's still a car. You can take out the sat-nav. You'll get lost, but it's still a car. But then what about the indicators and the windscreen wipers, the lights and the brakes? And the wheels. 
Is it still a car? At some point, it stops being a car. But way before that, it stops being a very good car. What can I get away with? Do you know when as a Christian we seek to, or we're tempted not to engage with Jesus at that level, we find being a Christian hard work. Find being a disciple of Jesus hard work. It becomes disappointing. Because we've seen it as a thing of doing, duty. Rather than the exciting, fulfilling, fruitful Life with Jesus that he always intended for us. If Christianity is disappointing to you or not fulfilling, you're doing it wrong. It's all about Jesus. Think for a moment of the cost of non-discipleship. The cost of not believing in Jesus You meet people in your life and they've made this kind of decision that, no, it's not for them. But in their life, there's no hope. What's the best they can hope for? The best to hope for is that death is the end. That's the best to hope for. Jesus clearly says eternity is a reality for all of us. What can we get away with? We'll miss out on that peace that goes beyond us understanding. That in the midst of the crises of life, and we all go through them, and the pain of life, and the suffering that comes, that we're held secure. Disciples of Jesus Christ are held secure, and they know it. Because they know he is good. And they know his promises are true. And whatever the enemy says, oh no, you can't believe that anymore. You stand on it because you've known it to be true. Spiritual warfare is real. The enemy wants the church of Jesus Christ to be as ineffective as possible. And in some ways, he's having a good time. And that's why we're praying for revival. God will awaken the church of Jesus Christ again with the power of the Holy Spirit. See, discipleship, other than just wearing a badge, I'm a Christian, but discipleship, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, is ultimately about allegiance It's about the ultimate allegiance. Who are we going to live for? What are we going to live for? I've been reading a story in the Old Testament of how David, when he was on the run from Saul, Saul was out to kill him, yet David had been anointed as king. He was God's chosen king. And suddenly, as he was hiding in the caves in the desert, men came to him. They gathered around him. 
they could sense that God's anointing was on him and they gathered around him. And they had one purpose in gathering around David. They wanted to make David king. Wanted to make him king. And we have a commission from the king of kings to make disciples, to go and make disciples, to make Jesus king where we are. That he'll be Lord of my life, Lord of my family, Lord of my situation, Lord of the circumstances. And we declare him Lord over all things because that's who he is. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we want to make him Lord in here, but also out there. Because we're for Christ. We're for his name and for his honor and for his glory and for his praise and for his rule and for his reign and for his crown. And that's why we proclaim him. I've challenged myself when someone says, are you a Christian? Well, yes, but I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, he is first. I believe in Jesus. We want to see the lost saved, don't we? That's why we're here. That's why the church exists, to worship God and make him known and see the lost saved. But we have to fight for them. We have to fight for them. I'm a Christian because someone fought for me. And I know my parents prayed for me every day. And I know my brothers and sisters, when they became Christians, prayed for me. But I remember meeting someone I hardly ever knew. Her name was Debbie, and I met her at my baptism. And she said, I have been praying for you for years. I didn't know who she was really. She was a friend of my sister's. And my sister had obviously shared that I was a terrible person and really needed prayer. (laughs) So far from the kingdom. She fought for me. And the question I have is, who am I fighting for? Who are the people that I'm bringing before God every day? What are the situations for salvation, for healing that I'm fighting for in the spiritual realm? What nation have I picked out of the world to say, I'm going to pray for that nation. I'm going to fight for that nation. Sometimes we're just too, it's too big. How can I pray for the world? Well, pick a nation. And pray God's kingdom come, and his kingdom come, and the lost be saved, and the church be blessed, and fight for it. Who are we fighting for? That's why we have those hungry for God meetings, because we're fighting. Spiritual warfare. And I don't mind whether you pray at home during those times. But I'd love the whole church, Chipping Camden Baptist Church, to be saying during those times, seven and eight, on that Monday, once a month, that whether we're at home or in the church building, we will fight for the lost to be saved, for God's kingdom to come.
But I know that every time we meet needs, and it's just a real privilege to see the gifts and ministries that are just pouring out of this church, just pouring out day by day, some unseen, unheard of, unheralded, but it's just being there as we leave this place. Whether it's feeding the hungry, witnessing, discipling, parenting, marriage, going into prisons, visiting, kingdom of God, advancing. We fight for revival not just as a good idea because we live in a place and an age that is so desperate. I mean, I'm not as fussed about whether prayer is banned for an agenda on a, on a, on a council meeting, which it was, wasn't it? You saw that in the news. And we could get really uppity about that. How, how terrible. How terrible that is. Are we praying? Church can get really sort of, oh, that's really bad. They've banned prayer from their gender at a meeting. How many come to the prayer meeting? Ah, oh, no, well. It's easier to be offended than get on the offensive in prayer. Jesus is looking for a people he can trust with his power. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he said, I'm going to entrust it to you, the church. Go and make disciples. And in the coming weeks and months, we're going to be unpacking just what different aspects of discipleship, these, these early messages, just sort of broad brushstroke, but we're going to be unpacking what that means. And God loves this world that he's made. And he invites us to be his disciples, part of the rescue mission. Don't grow familiar with precious things. Even being a Christian, you can grow familiar. Even church, you can grow familiar with church. Jesus loves the church. He knows what it's like. But he loves it. Because he has sent it out into the world. To Dallas Willard's question, are you only a Christian or are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I first just dismissed it as a sort of pedantic thing and then I let it challenge me. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus. It's hard to misunderstand that, isn't it? I'm a Christian. Oh, that's nice. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He is my everything, my all. Lord, and I will give my life for him. I hope I would, if it came to it. I don't know. God looks for a consecrated people through whom he can do amazing things. Shall we just pray together?
And maybe this morning, you just need to respond to that question. Are you, have you settled for being kind of a Christian in a vague sense, or are you going to nail down and say, yeah, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to surrender everything, the Lordship of Christ. Lord, you know our hearts. And I just pray that by your spirit, you would just come now. Fill us with courage and boldness to make a stand for you wherever you place us. To battle in prayer. To fight for those we love that are not yet believers. to fight for your kingdom in the heavenly realms. We know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we hear your rallying call, Lord Jesus, to be a people who will go for you, make a difference in this world, both individually but corporately as a church to see your kingdom come. We give ourselves to you. We surrender to you. And maybe this morning is just the time to surrender again. Everything. Maybe you have just got away with, well, I don't read the Bible. I don't spend time in prayer, but it hasn't made me any stronger. Maybe it's time to come back to those disciplines. A follower of Jesus. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a final song. Let's stand as we sing. Make it clean.